The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're having a chat with Rob Waugh, Managing Director of Musgrave Minerals. Musgrave's trading at 5.1 cents for a market cap of about 21 million. Its code is MGV, or Mike Golf Victor. The company takes its name from the remote Musgrave region, which straddles WA and the South Australian border. It's a region that Rob knows well, as he was the project leader of the team at WMC that discovered the Nebo Babel Nickel Cobalt Copper Project back in 2000. It's now the subject of a planned $800 million development by Oz Minerals and Consini. Now, while Musgrave holds tenements in the South Australian side of the Musgrave region, the company's focus is very much on its gold project near Kew, which is between Mount Magnet and Mekathara in WA's Murchison region. It's where Musgrave has an existing 440,000 ounce high-grade resource across a couple of deposits, but more importantly, it's where it has made the exciting Lake Austin North gold discovery beneath Salt Lake sediments. Now, welcome, Rob, and thanks for joining us here today at Stockhead. Thanks, Barry. Good to be here. Now, before jumping into what Musgrave is up to, could you give us a, a bit of a background on yourself, you know, education-wise, professional career? Yeah, absolutely. I was born in New South Wales, schooled in WA. And the reason sort of I came across to WA, uh, my family came across to WA, was um, Dad used to play cricket for New South Wales. He struggled to get into the New South Wales team with the likes of Richie Benno and the like in the squad. Uh, he bowled leg spin. Uh, he moved to WA. So he ended up playing 14 games of, of first-grade cricket between New South Wales and, and also in WA, and that moved the family across to WA. But what got me really interested in, in geology was uh, my mother ended up being a geologist. She was one of the first female graduate geologists from UWA back in the 60s. So she was the one that sort of sparked that interest in me. And um, uh, look, I was happy to take on, on that mantle and, can, and continue to do that geology and be part of the family. Okay. So is there any genetic link with the Wall Brothers? Uh, look, I'd love to say there was, Barry, but um, I don't think so. So if there was, it definitely skipped uh, skipped me. My uh, my ability at cricket is, is okay, but nowhere near their, their levels. Mm. I'm just wondering, uh, with your mother's trailblazing there, does the company itself have uh, women on the uh, payroll? Yeah, we do. We do have a, a, a couple. Um, um, unfortunately, we also just lost a, a young geo to uh, moving to a, a larger company. But look, we're... Um, I love seeing more and more women in the industry, and we are starting to see that happen. So it is a it's a really good direction, and I was uh, you know absolutely um, proud of Mum. She was a she was a trailblazer in that field, and um, you know it would have been pretty tough in those days. You know, you know early sixties, uh, graduating in geology, one of your only only females in in your cohort. So yeah, uh, uh, but but you know it's come a long way, and love to see more and more women in the industry. So your dad and the boys, did they have to cook their own dinner when mum was out in the field or was mum largely city-based? Uh, mum was largely city-based. So once, once, we, um, once you had kids, that sort of changed the uh, dynamic a little bit um, and um, brought her around home a lot more. She, um, 
converted her degree to um, um, librarianship and then became the um, head librarian at CSIRO for nearly 20 years. Right. So you must have uh, must feel uh, an enormous pressure to perform. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you're, I think you spent 17 or 18 years with WMC, ending up being project leader at uh, the Nebo Babel. Yeah, uh, look, absolutely. And, you know, not only that, but um, I guess my, my dad also ends up having five degrees, including, you know, um, three postgrads, a PhD, two masters. So he's one of those people that both had uh, talents in the sporting field and academia. Um, but for me, um, my first job was with Western Mining and I started at Norseman um, Gold, as it so happens, and I'm back in gold now. But um, that was a fantastic experience. And I spent, you know, a decade working throughout the gold fields, five years in Norseman, another three in Kalgoorlie and and, and lots of other time elsewhere. So 17 years in total with Western Mining in, in multiple areas and multiple projects, working through multiple commodities, uh, nickel, started in gold, went back to gold, went to diamonds as well, um, and copper. So uh, a lot of experience there and great people and a, a really fantastic training ground. Right. WMC, or Western Mining Corporation, of course, is a famous name in the Australian mining industry, considered uh, one of the best explorers, uh, you know, Olympic Dam, the uh, Cambolder Nickel Fields, the uh, Bauxite in the Darling Ranges of WA. I'm just wondering, what, what does it take to make a good explorer? Uh, look, a, a fantastic question, actually, Barry, and um, there's probably a number of factors. Um, one is you need to be technically very sound. Um, you need to understand um, and be open-minded with geology because lots of things are different in every different discovery, um, lots of variables. Um, I think the other thing that is probably one of the most important um, is, is persistence. Um, you need to be persistent. And the other thing that I think is absolutely critical is optimism. As an explorer, you need to be amazingly optimistic because every single drew hole cannot be a winner. Um, and it sort of gets to the point where it's only like one in a thousand prospects will become mines. And so with that in the back of your head, you want to do better than that, obviously. Um, and the best way to do better than that is, is to be technically very good at what you're doing um, and, and shifting through the, the wheat from the chafe. Mm. And how does a company get the message across to the broader investment community that, hey, guys, we're, we're different, we are um, technically sound, uh, technically uh, proficient explorers. We've been here, we've done it before. How do you get that message across? I think that, look, the, the two key aspects to probably get that across, because lots of people say it, but one is your background um, and having that Western mining background. And then I, I, I stayed and worked across to BHP after the takeover in 2005 as well. So having that big company background, great training ground, um, around you, you have lots of key technical people and very bright people. Um, but also that I think the most critical thing is that um, history within your own record of discovery success. And I've been fortunate enough to work in teams and, and lead teams who have had that, um, both at Gold, um, starting off um, at Scotia Underground and Cobbler, two gold deposits at Norseman. Uh, from there, um, leading the team, as mentioned earlier, that made the initial nickel-copper discovery at Nebo Babel in the West Musgrave. Um, and that's obviously now an Oz Cassini um, deal, but you know, that was a fantastic experience in my career and, and there was a whole team involved um, and it's never just a single operation or a single person involved in these discoveries. It's generally always a team in, environment. 
Um, from there, I worked in uranium as well, and we made some discoveries at, at um, Honeypot and Duke Batman. So there are small uranium discoveries in Queensland. Um, at that stage, I worked for Fusion. We got taken over by, by Paladin as well at that point. Um, and subsequently, you know, most recently, um, the discovery of gold at Q at, at a break of day and now um, Lake Austin North. So there's a, I think those are the type of things that, that training ground um, that people can see and then that history of discovery success throughout your career that are the most key aspects that people can differentiate um, within that industry. Mm. Just uh, finishing up on the your Musgrave experience, uh, Nebo Babel, that is. I remember at the time when WMC announced it, there's a picture floating around of a young geologist uh, going by the name of Rob Wall. And I noticed it's stuck in my mind ever since. Uh, in your shirt pocket, you had about 12 pens. I've wondered ever since, are you a pen collector? <laughs> it's funny you ask. I guess there, there's probably only one pen, one, one ink, one pencil, one will be a, a, a a small magnet that's shaped like a pen, so it sits in your pocket. One's a small um, magnifying uh, light pen also that just you can look through to give you a magnification of the rocks underneath. It looks like a pen, so so reality is there's only one pen probably, but there's four or five instruments in there that are easy to carry in a pocket if they're pen-shaped, but um, absolutely, that's um, sort of key instruments in the trade. Right, so very much tools of the trade. Mm. Exactly. Now, swinging over to Q, or the Queen of the Murchison, as some people call it, what have you got there and uh, what's the big picture that's emerging? Look, um, we actually got involved in Q and we, we sort of moved away from exploring in the Musgrave and really that uh, has been a focus for us at Q now for the last three years. So that focus was driven really from the lack of, of, of support that the industry was seeing for greenfield, early stage greenfield exploration. So we knew we had to get some, a project a bit more advanced. We actually looked at about 200 projects um, within Australia and overseas for a period of about 12 to 18 months before we decided on, on progressing with Q. So, you know, there was a quite a, 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 a large range of things we looked through and projects we looked through to get to this point and we really liked this opportunity. Um, it had existing resource base, although it was only small at the time, I think roughly around 100,000 ounces of, of moderate grade ore, or gold ore, but we could see upside potential. We look at the regional structure, we look at the geology in a regional sense, how heavily has it been explored, and we could see real opportunity here to be able to actually put our exploration skills to practice and make additional discoveries. We knew the infrastructure was pretty good in the region. There were operating gold mills around us. Uh, that great northern highway is only a few kilometres from the project area. So it really had a lot of ticks. Uh, um, and so we went ahead with that project. And over the next couple of years, we acquired 100% of it um, and have progressed ever since. And, you know, really the intent for us is to continue to make these discoveries, grow the gold resource and be in a position where we can make decisions about development, um, you know, in the not-too-distant future. Mm. Now, the existing resource, mainly at uh, break of day and uh, Lena, uh, they are what you call your southern area, is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. That's in the southern area of the project and um, Lena was an existing prospect. Uh, we've been up to double the resource. We think there's potential there to probably quadruple or, 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 or go to the even point of getting half a million ounces maybe there. But Break of day again, a new discovery um, that looks encouraging, very high grade at about seven grams. Um, and so that's the sort of background for the, uh, our current resources, new discoveries at Lake Austin, 
Um, that is yet to be uh, defined as a resource category, um, but we think there's lots more work to do there and, and we think there's potential for some large deposits in these areas under the lakes that haven't been explored and, and some high-grade areas also on in areas where prospectors have been working around for, for many years. Um, it's interesting to note that... Um, that Q is one of the first active gold fields in WA um, before Kalgoorlie even. So, um, you know, 1892, 1893, first gold discovered at Q and, and first gold discovered at um, the mainland area, which is an area we're just about to start drilling in a week's time, uh, was 1893. And they're still producing alluvial gold from that, from that area now. So a fantastic uh, gold field and um, one that's been very uh, long-lived. Mm. So both those deposits sit on a, a mineralised trend, which, what, dives, continues north and dives under the Salt Lake? Yeah, correct. So it continues north of uh, about two kilometres north of Lena and Break of Day and dives under that uh, that Salt Lake. And um, we think there's about 30 to, uh, to 60 metres of cover in most of those areas. But below that, we'll see the gold-bearing stratigraphy and rocks um, and the structures that will host that gold mineralisation. So it's a matter of focusing in those areas under the lake and, and, and finding where we think those hot spots are or those small areas where the gold deposits will be. And it's like a little bit like finding a needle in a haystack. So we use a lot of um, remote techniques like geophysics, um, magnetics, gravity, um, to try and pinpoint areas where we want to focus the drilling. And, and that leads us into to a smaller area uh, that might be a few kilometres by a few kilometres. And then again, you, you need to refocus again by getting more detailed data and then following up what results you get from the initial drilling and, and, and define an area that might be only 500 metres long by, by 30 metres wide mm. um, to, to find that needle. So obviously the old timers had no idea the, uh, that there was gold to be had under the lake? Oh, look, they probably suspected there was, but um, technology didn't allow them to mine it. Um, look, any anything below uh, below the freshwater or the saltwater level, any the, the water table effectively mm. in those those days was too hard. When you're getting on land away from lake, water table was sitting at about that twenty meter mark, so very comfortably mined down to those levels from surface. On the lake, the water level is roughly around a meter below surface, so. They just didn't have the capacity to pump the water out to, to be able to mine or, or, or even explore there. And in those days too, very visual. Um, so if you can't see it at surface, it was really hard to track and they didn't have the expertise that we have now with remote techniques, with magnetics and geophysics to focus or, or the capabilities that the current um, design drill rigs have to drill. Mm. I think the discovery hole at Zone A returned uh about 36 metres at 3.6 grams a tonne beneath uh, 50 metres of the Salt Lake sediments. Um, since that discovery hole, uh, what, have you been advancing the project to see, uh, you know, whether it's got some big time potential to it? Yeah, look, we've um, we've had an RC drill program, um, which is um, about 20 drill holes at 200 metres depth each. Um, getting some significant results, 90-odd metres at, at 2.5 grams, um, about 40, 50-metre intersections, about 4 grams. So getting some good numbers through. We've done a diamond drilling program um, recently as well. Um, we had an intersection that was 240-odd metres at a, at a gram that had a high-grade core as well that was 40 metres at, at 4. So so some really strong zones of gold mineralisation within below that lake surface. So the focus for us is we've just flown an even more detailed aeromagnetic survey. Uh, we'll integrate that with some structural data that we're getting from the core 
uh, to define exactly the orientation of some of these high-grade shoots below the lake surface. So once we have integrated all that data, we'll then focus a, an additional drilling campaign to, to define and, and, and potentially get a resource from those high-grade shoots mm. Um, which may be, they're normally, you know, shaped pencil-like, so, um, but obviously a lot larger than that, but, um, but that sort of, di- you know, dimension or, or, or cylinder shape. So, you, you know, they'll have a, a, a vertical depth extent that can be quite significant. So that's our focus is try and pinpoint those exact small high-grade areas and, and, and keep drilling. Mm. Now, as you know, the, the market can be an impatient beast. Um, is it possible at all to have some feel about when a maiden resource estimate so that might be made? I look, it's all about um, capacity really to to be able to get the drilling dollars required to, to drill a resource. So, uh, you know, and these are, these are not small sums mm-hmm. of money. Um, so, for instance, you know, most discovery costs within the industry are sitting around um, it, for really good companies like uh, that are classified like Northern Star and the like are sitting around that 20 to 25 dollars an ounce so with that in mind if you want to discover a million ounces at 20 to 25 dollars an ounce that's 20 million dollars to do so so you can understand the concept and and the amount of money required to do that and that's what you really need to to be in a standalone development position is have over a million ounces Mm. so yeah um so it's a stagnant a, a, a stage process to get there so what we want to do is be able to add incrementally to the resource base so if we can add 200,000 ounces at a time to the resource base then over a period of of x amount of months or years you get to that point of having that 1.2 million ounces so um, that that's the position for us barry is to is to continue to um, get results with the drill bit um, put that geology together to get a better understanding and then and then gradually build that resource. So is the, I take from that the intention is to retain 100% through the exploration uh, resource development uh, development phase? Look, absolutely. Look, that's the preference for us is to retain 100%. But depending conditions, market, options, um, look, we're we open to considering things. And I think the best... Um, way to progress a project is to be open to all avenues and so we are always open to to opportunity and um, so there if there is an opportunity to to progress more quickly by getting funds through other means and you know you always consider it so you don't want to be closed-minded I think in any form of life so you want to be making sure you conceive and, and consider the best opportunities. Mm. Now in that uh, broader region there's probably uh, half a dozen or so mills owned by third parties one of those, of course, is uh, Westgold's Tuckabiana, and they are a what fourteen percent shareholder. What's what is the nature of that relationship? Oh, look, we have a, a a pretty open and good relationship with Westgold. They are a major shareholder. Um, they've been now a major shareholder of us. And came in into placement to at a premium um, over eighteen months ago. Um, you know, we um, we chat on a on a semi regular basis and uh, looking to add opportunities to. To work with Westgold or or potentially other explorers uh, and developers in the region, producers to to develop our projects. So um, that relationship is good. Um, I have a pretty good open relationship with with Cookie. Um, um, so yeah, n- not a problem with any of that. Has there been any arrangements made to, to give them first dibs on any uh, mineable resource reserve that you come up with? No. So look, they are just a shareholder, a major shareholder, but just a shareholder. So at this stage, there's no um, 
um, advantage that they have against anyone else in, in that space, other than being a, a, a you know a, a thirteen or so percent shareholder in Musgrove. Mm. No, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, West Gold here, but we have seen in the uh, junior mid tier gold space, uh, two thousand dollar gold does. Um, build the ambitions of some of the existing gold producers. Uh, are you fearful, given the quite modest market cap, given the existing resource base and the new discovery, that you could uh, be victim to a low-ball takeover bid? I think there's always that possibility, Barry, and you're correct. I mean, $2,000 Aussie gold price is fantastic price. Um, and within that, you know, there's potential for that opportunistic bid. Um, the intent for us, obviously, is to to keep to drill, and the best way to defend that, I think, is to get that price up and and to confirm and show to the market that the opportunity here is significantly larger than what we currently have as far as the resource goes. So, we want to be able to get out there and drill and 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 prove that up. Um, but significantly, as we've seen, I guess, throughout the market, there has been a little bit of an increase in M&A activity. Um, so we are conscious of that. Um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is just a fact of life, I guess, when the gold, Aussie gold price is $2,000. Okay. Now, um, to the north, I think you've recently added a, an interesting uh, new play uh, acquired from prospectors who've been apparently uh, plucking 20-ounce-type uh, nuggets from for the last 30 years. Uh, can you talk a bit about that project? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just I touched on this a little bit earlier, and this is uh, the mainland uh, prospect area. We'll be drilling here in about a week's time. Um, and this area is one of the first areas where gold was discovered in Kew in, in 1893. So um, it has been producing gold. There are some some old shafts in that, in that area that date back to that time period of the early 1900s. And um, underground small underground mines very high grade um and the mining stopped there underground um generally around world war one and and all the diggers sort of went off to off to war but the opportunity is there um we've seen a lot of alluvial gold produced and the prospectors that are there now and are still mining gold there now um generally make a living out of it and they've been doing that for the last 30 years so um, we see the source of that alluvial gold yet to be properly defined and there hasn't been a lot of drilling um, over the last hundred years at all so because it's been held by by the smaller prospecting groups so we've been able to do, arrange it and do a deal um, and so with that we will be able to get out and drill next week and we're looking for the basement source to all this alluvial gold and uh, you know it's an exciting time and we're we're looking forward to that drill bit starting to turn. And you also be drilling at uh, Lake Austin? Look, the intent is to be back at drilling at Lake Austin, but we just need a little bit of thinking time to making sure that we integrate the data we have um, to prioritise our drill holes going forward. So um, we've just flown this airborne magnetic survey in detail. We integrate that with the structural data we're getting and collecting at the moment from the drill core, um, and that will give us a better focus for, for the next phase of drilling at Lake Austin. Right. Okay. Well, uh, exciting on a number of fronts. Um, So I thank you for your time today. I'm sure investors will find that all very interesting and best of luck with it all. Wonderful, Barry. Always great to chat and and hopefully we can get some strong results back through the market. We can see an improved uh, industry and, and a strong gold price going forward. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Barry.